Welcome to podcast 208 of Five Star Potential, your weekly football manager podcast. My name is Dave, and on this week's pod, I am alongside Curti and Matt. How we do, boys? Good, Good evening. Four years, and there's only three of us, eh? I know. Our times have changed. Four year anniversary. Four year anniversary. We were hoping to do something a little bit special for this, weren't we? But I think it was so close to episode 200 as well where we did something a little bit different. Uh, But hopefully, maybe before the end of the year, we can definitely meet up or at least do something live or live shows have been spoken about before. Who knows? Maybe It's been a long long four years for me, to be honest. It's been a long haul. (laughs) I mean, when Lelujo and Loki did their thing in Nottingham, they got about 20 people turning up. I reckon we could could get about 20 people turning up to something. Ah, easy. At least... Neutral event, uh, neutral venue, lots of notice. We'll get people there. I'll bring Let's 20 know. people I over mean, from Ireland, don't worry. Huh? Well, I mean, huh? to be honest, if there's six of us, that's I mean, we only got to get 14, <laughs> don't we? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, on, on this week's pod anyway, we're going to be having the usual save updates. Well, I say usual, there's something a little bit different in there as well. And with the end of pre-season in real-life football, we're going to be talking about how we approach pre-season and what sort of things we get up to in football manager alongside our Premier League predictions towards the end of the podcast. But we'll kick off with what we've been up to on Football Manager over the last couple of weeks. But Curtie, we'll start with you in a Football Manager tournament. Let us know what it was and how you got on. So, the FM playoffs. Um, And I finally showed up. Although, to be fair, I think I got to the final once in the FM Super League, so it's not all disgraceful. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the streamer showdown another time, maybe. But... um, yeah, I think I'm the first person from Weestream FM to win a, a, f- a football manager community tournament. Is that right? Yeah. Congratulations. We'll, get, we'll Congratulations. give you a little applause. Me and Matt are yeah. nice. There you go. Yeah. Um, no, it was really, really good event um, in in the competition with 12 or 11 other people, including some pretty, you know, pretty well-respected names. Buster Net was in there. You know, he's Yeesh. a bit of a professor of FM, really. Um, so to, to come through in a tournament where someone like, you know, the calibre of of him is, is involved is uh, is pretty good and we got through undefeated so cruised through the group stage um, I think it was four wins and a draw um, yeah. then played uh, so basically if you win the group stage in this format if you win the group stage you get a bye to the semi-final and then second and third in the group kind of play each other in the quarter-final um, so it's a bit like the sort of conference playoffs if you like where six teams go into it, two teams get that sort of that advantage of uh, a rest. So went straight into the semi-final after winning the group. Uh, played uh, Lacal Miju, who's taken part in a couple of the Super Leagues as well. Um, I think he won the last Super League actually, and he's he's kind mm. of he's he's a he's a nice lad, is Miju, but he's um he's got a bit chopsy since he won the Super League. I've noticed it quite a bit on Twitter. He's 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 you know not so scared now to voice his opinion on certain things and come into Twitch chats and start spouting off and talking smack. Um, so it was good to uh, to beat him in the semi final. It was actually quite close. Uh, he went down to nine men. Uh, wow! But, but um, he actually equal. So it was three uh, two going into the final few minutes. He was down to nine men. So I was sat back, you know basically just thinking about what I was going to do in the final. And he equalised in the 90th minute um, to take it to extra time, which we won comfortably given the, the two-man advantage. Uh, but it was a, a small fright there, probably the, the biggest fright I had of the weekend. 
and uh, and then got to the final and played Stinger, FM Stinger, who's again nice lad. Um, he's he's one of the part of the over forty club as well, so me and him get get on quite well. Um, and put him to the sword with relative ease. I think it finished five three in the end, um, in the final. So. Yeah, chuffed, chuffed to... I, I just went into it hoping not to embarrass myself and uh, came out winning it and not losing a game. So pretty happy with that. And now I've just got to uh, defend my crown next month. I like that over 40 club reference, Kurt. Like, Is it a bit like Neil Warnock and Roy Hodgson going up in an FA Cup final? Is that, <laughs> is that how we look at it? <laughs> um, you'll find out once you get there, mate. Uh, obviously, well, there's, a stri- there's a strict cl- code that... Um, you young'uns wouldn't understand. So. True, very true, very true. Um, so was there any sort of squad rules for this, Curtie, or was it just a full-fat draft? Yeah, so it was uh, top five leagues, plus Portugal, actually, so six leagues we could yes. pick from in the pool. Uh, but we only had 300 million. So um, I, I'll ha- hold my hands up here. I did so little preparation, and uh, young Pumpster FM, Charlie was my absolute saviour. Basically, he, he gave me a spreadsheet um, that sort of calculated a um, value per current ability um, <laughs> at, um, metric. Um, so during the draft, and I think we had 90 seconds for each pick, during the draft, we, we, we picked Haaland as our first, uh, our sort of big star. We had, the, I think we were the last pick, last team to pick in the draft. So all the big players had gone. So we went with Haaland, um, and then it was about kind of scraping around, finding some bargains here and there, you know, good value players with good current ability, but around kind of five, 10 million quid. Uh, and by the end, I think with three picks left, we had a bit of cash. So we, we chucked a, a few quid on Grealish as well. Um, and I played the same system that I'm playing in my Arsenal save on YouTube. Uh, and basically just... The big players turned up. Haaland scored a lot of goals. Grealish was fantastic. Uh, we played De Jong as the Regista, and he was he's quite handy because you could just drop him back into a back three. So playing against two up top, uh, I always find that dropping a guy back kind of gives us the extra man, makes us defend, certainly when they're playing like two advanced forwards uh, and just trying to get in behind. Playing an extra defender really, really helps. So yeah, it was just... Um, it was great. Like, got away with the draft, thanks to Pumpster, and got away with the, uh, the competition, thanks to my excellent tactical nous. Did you have to play any sort of, uh, I'll say, dirty tactics, i.e. long throws or, you know, special corners? Or Obviously, you would have had your set pieces set up from the Arsenal save anyway, but, you know, what, did, did any of those set pieces give you the better of any of the opponents? Not really. I mean, so... Corners, you just overload the near post, aim for the near mm. post, and then like free kicks, you um, stack all your best headers at the far post and aim for your best header, basically. Um, and then, yeah, long, I mean, long throws. I think I, I played against That's a couple of guys still it. playing long throws. Um, we don't really do it. Um, don't see the need. And uh, yeah, we, I think we conceded one goal. I think it might have been against Stinger, actually. We conceded one goal from a long throw just because I couldn't get the defensive setup right, which kind of worried me because I thought maybe he'd, he'd, you know, he might get a couple more chances from them later in the game, but he didn't. It, you know, it was just the one goal. Um, so, yeah, none of the dirty tactics, none of the three up top, 
just yeah. kind of reacting to, you know, I had a really solid starting system and then it was adaptable enough and the squad that we had was adaptable enough to react to um, any major changes that the opposition made. Do you, uh, you know the structure of the actual tournament itself? So you do the draft on one day. Is the tournament, like the games, all in one scene? Yes. Or do they split the group? Do you reckon that worked to your advantage in the fact that I know we talk about the look modifier. You know, you got that look at the start and it, you had it the whole thing. If you won the group, there was every chance you could have come back the next day if they, you know, st- started the game again and you wouldn't have had that look. Do you know, I mean, you could talk about the luck modifier, which is a yeah. real thing, but <laughs> I think the biggest advantage it gave me, and, you know, we're talking about the difference, like in the stream of showdown, for example, where you have the group stage on the first day and then the yeah, knockout yeah, yeah, stage yeah. the next day. It meant, it, it gave no one in the knockout stages any kind yeah. of time to try and work out what I was doing and how I was set up and how they could counter it. You know, if you give, have that 24-hour period in between, you know, players can analyse exactly what you're doing, go back and watch the stream and just see what changes you're making yeah, to yeah. certain match situations. But that this tournament doesn't allow for that. So, it is, yeah, it's all on the night. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Curti, three things from me in my head. Number one, actually, well, number one is just congratulations to Pumster FM, the uh, FM playoffs real champion, not Curti, <laughs> uh, for his squad selection. He's director um, of football. <laughs> but I'm looking at your team here, Curti. So um, we talked about squad numbers and maybe it's random, but is, is, is if it's a 20 man or a 23 man squad, how is Joel Matip sitting with a number 32 on? Is that is that something you've done? It is random, uh, mate. I had no It is random. No very strange. Um, I mean, doesn't he wear 32 for Liverpool? Maybe he does. I don't know. I was just wondering if if it is actually the draft uh, randomly assigning it. It just looked a bit out of place there. Yeah, no, nothing to do with me. My real question is Ruben Garcia. I I haven't heard of him. He's I see you had him on the right there. Did he did he play for the whole tournament? Is he any good? I've not actually heard of him. He was he was hit and miss. Um, Mm. So on the on the flanks, I had Ruben Garcia one side and. who was the other Richarlison. side? Richarlison. Richarlison, yeah, Richarlison. Yeah. So both of them had good games and both of them very much went missing in games. Mm. Um, but I guess it's kind of what you expect from, from you know, and you, your wingers can win you the match. Um, but when you've got someone like Haaland and Grealish playing through the middle, and we <clears> play quite narrow anyway. Um, so a lot of the play will come through De Jong and then through Grealish and then obviously up to Haaland. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, the match might have bypassed these guys, but um, they they very much, sh- you know, shone when they need to. I think Ruben Garcia scored a brace in the final, um, so he had good games and bad games. But uh, it was, um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I'd not heard of Ruben Garcia. It was very much that was a pumpster spreadsheet pick. <laughs> <laughs> Keep digging. Um... And the other question then I wanted to ask is, I can see you've got De Jong in, in as a, well, uh, on the tweet you had, it was down as a ball-willing midfielder. No, um, no, no. That was, you never put out your real system in the tweet. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Jesus I was, I was Christ. I mean, what's wrong yeah. with you? Um, no, De Jong was, was played as a, a regista. So oh, in my right, Arsenal okay, save, thanks for watching, um, Erdegaard... <laughs> Is uh, is played as a regista in that system, and De Jong actually fits the bill really, really nicely. And cool. like I say, because he can drop into centre back as well, um, playing him in that DM slot is just it. It worked really well. It's very, very yeah, adaptable. Uh, 
Yeah, I was wondering because I saw the B, the the BWM ball winning midfielder, and I'm like, anytime I've ever used a ball winning midfielder, yellow card, red card, it's gar- it's nearly guaranteed. I don't know if you found yeah. the same lads, but you just can't stop them from getting booked and getting oh. sent off. All, all of this is irrelevant because I didn't use him as a ball winning midfielder. <laughs> true, so. true story, true story. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you carry on, mate. You carry on. Just, just trying to help you out with your FM education. Any other education, roles you don't uh, like? Or? Yeah. Um, I'm not not too sure how I feel about the role of Pumpster FM in all of this, but uh, we, we leave that for <laughs> we leave that for the listeners to decide. <laughs> oh, I was, he, I was he's say- my uh, he's my Peter Taylor. If I'm Brian Clough, that's what we decided. Plus Pickens. I was going to say earlier, Curtie, with the uh, the look modifier thing as well. Um, it's probably last year, probably longer ago, longer ago than I thought. Um, when I won the streamer showdown uh, league, unbeaten, and then obviously going to the next day against Clay to finish bottom, I remember saying on that night, every single shot I've had has gone in. Tomorrow, this ain't happening. And obviously, Clayton had the advantage of sort of looking at the tactics as well. And then every shot I had didn't go in the next day and I was out in the in the next round. I remember that. He I doubled think... up on your wide men, didn't he? Quite a lot. Yeah. But, he played uh, the, uh, there was the introduction of, what did he call it? The tornado or something like that? What? Oh, I don't know. He had his own little tactic. He loves a gimmick, doesn't he? Uh, well, a I'm special. just going to say, though, I'm not, I'm not happy about this. You're, you're giving all the credit to the luck modifier. Patrick down there is giving all the credit to uh, Pumpster <laughs> FM. No. I mean... What the hell's going well, on here? <laughs> You're just the eye candy. We're crazy. just jealous of you winning the tournament for the first time. Yeah, hey. Someone yeah. had to do it. Yeah. Up the boat. Well, everyone, um, you know, it's coming down to sort of the, the end of the sort of FN21 cycle almost. But if you guys do still want to be playing your football manager draft mode games, if you've got a couple of mates that play football manager, when you really get into them, they are uh, really, really good and really fun to play. So uh, jump on it if you if you haven't already, guys. Um, but I think we'll just move straight on to the main topic, I think, lads. Um, we've spoken about Curtis' success in FM tournaments. Uh, and now we're going to move on to um, <laughs> Tourna- pre-season. Tournament. Tournaments. tournaments is, yeah, uh... sorry, not not in tournaments. Definitely not in tournaments. <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking about pre-season. So we are at, in, in real life at the end of pre-season as of the day of recording uh, the Premier League is about to kick off um, but obviously thanks to the football manager any day can be a pre-season so we would, we thought we would review some must-dos um, question whether you're using your time wisely and uh, probably finish with me saying that I've learned something for the 200th time um, <laughs> it's fair to say historically pre-season always full of running players ditching their summer holiday way in readiness for the upcoming season but it's changed a lot now players go on holiday with a fitness plan they return in great physical condition there's no room to construct a complex pre-season routine that's got you running around more than uh, running around Scarborough more than uh, Neil Warnock back in the back in the day so we'll start off with the training lads what should our schedules look like you know I'm very lazy with my pre-season training or, or my training in general um, are you leaving your pre-season training to the default or have you boys got a specific schedule that you, you like to run? Um, for me, I don't do a huge amount myself because I know it, it defaults to a lot of the pre-season stuff. Anyway, yeah. I do tend to like from the very beginning when this when the training starts, just throw in a load of the uh, the quickness training and, and the, the high intensity one. And then I kind of let it do its thing. But um, the one the one thing I do kind of make an effort on, and it's it's Dupe's favorite phrase, morale manager, is to, is to just look at those maybe defaults or preseason setups, and just kind of throw in some of those um, teamwork, um, you know, the community outreach team bonding sessions. Because 
I think you can have your fitness, you can do your tactics, your training, but the morale is just so important. And I think I'm the kind of guy that just brings in randomly eight players every window and then you're suddenly throwing the dynamics upside down. So um, definitely trying to to focus on that, particularly when you need the squad to gel um, in preseason. See, I've kind of settled on a system now so i i work back from the first game of the season so say say we have a five week pre-season um i'll work back from that first game obviously you know competitive game to scheduling my friendlies probably no more than six friendlies so two a week um in which case i'm training heavily like match getting match tactics to be honest if you're if you're playing two games a week you don't really need to worry about the fitness side of things um, it's all about mm. getting them tactically tactically familiar um, with what you're going to play at the start of the season. So those three weeks are all about um, the system um, and obviously match sharpness, which they'll get from playing games. And I make sure I re- rotate the squads uh, to make sure everyone sort of goes into the season match sharp. Uh, and then, like I said, the first two weeks of that block, so the five-week preseason, the first two weeks of that block, I absolutely kill them. Um, so lots of the physical categories, um, yes, teamwork and community bonding as well to make sure uh, that uh, those you know those sort of teamwork uh, attributes, if you like, uh, are good. But yeah, it's all about it's all about fitness the first two weeks and then match practice for those last three weeks. Yeah, I was, well, like I said earlier, I really don't touch the the training. I know. There's definitely advantages to it. I remember, obviously, Foxy, which we spoke about. I can't remember if it was the start of FM21 or if it was the start of FM20, uh, where he sort of did those videos on the training schedules that a lot of people were, were talking about. When we got him on the pod, a lot of people commented about as well. Um, so there are definitely advantages to having a really good preseason schedule. You spoke a lot about friendlies there. Um, there are different ways of doing friendlies. There are advantages and disadvantages to playing certain teams. What benefits are there? I know, Curtis, you said there you like to pre-plan those friendly games quite early on. What benefits do you see from planning your, your pre-season games rather than maybe leaving it to your assistant? Um, well, it depends what kind of club you are. Like For a, for a team like Arsenal, so in the Arsenal save, um, I will kind of build up, if you like. So um, by the time... the my last friendly is being played. It's generally against a reasonable opponent that I kind of expect to beat. But I used to sort of subscribe to the player, play load of shit teams, beat them all 10 nil. And then you'll yeah. get morale up. That doesn't, that's, that's not a thing anymore. You know, you, f- you can throw one or two of those games in, um, but you can't base your whole preseason around that sort of thing. I think you need a level of competition in there as well. What do you mean you don't want to see Erling Haaland scoring 12 goals against Windows Cleaners FC? But none of them care do about anyway. it, do they? Like you, you, <laughs> you notice that. You notice that in the team talk and stuff. None of them are asked. You know, everyone, as soon as you go 5-0 up, you know, in the 23rd minute, everyone's complacent. No one's taking it seriously anymore. So, yes, you know, chuck, a, chuck one of those games in, two of those games maybe. But you've got to have a, a decent level of competition. Sure, play teams that you expect to beat, but uh, you can't you can't just play against uh, you know the dog and duck FC six times before <laughs> your first game of the season. I was gonna say mad as well. Like for you, did you see maybe at any point maybe with Angers that you had to play slightly bigger teams or possibly even uh, do pre-season sort of tournaments to get more money into the club? 
Um, yeah, definitely at the start of that save, um, even though they're a league on team, league one team, uh, premier team, whatever we call them, top tier. Um, cash was yeah, cash was terrible at the start of that save, and uh, definitely threw in a few fixtures against like you know I think we got Man United. I remember getting United over and Liverpool over just to just to kick a bit of cash in because I was you know squeezing the pennies out. Um, as the save kind of as the save progressed. Um, I start you, the, where I would take it a bit more seriously is let's see when you get into Europe for the first time, um, and 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 normally as well with it with a club with limited budget they they don't let you travel too far. Sometimes you're yeah. you're stuck in country or you can only go to the neighbouring countries. So we're just heading across the border into into Switzerland or <laughs> somewhere for a little a little uh, a little couple of hours drive. Um, but once you start getting into Europe and it starts to broaden out, that's where I'm kind of like right, let's get some friendlies against teams that are the caliber we'll play. Um, and you know you're starting to kind of give the Schalkes and the Wolfsburgs and these guys um, some friendlies just again I think it's just to to come in at the level that you're going to start at particularly when Europe is on the cards I suppose um, but I'm not going to lie I'll always throw in one last one against Dog and Duck FC to win 13-0 before we go in ju- just just to just to have the <laughs> night out after and, and have a few points you know um, but yeah like just tr- trying to kind of match the calibre of the teams you're going to face in, in, in the season is, is where I do aim for are you, Kurt? I know you said about the the sort of strength of opponent. Are you always cautious who you put as your last friendly game? I.e., if you put it as a strong team and lose, are you worried about morale shooting down right before the start of the season? No, no, not really. I don't. I, I think it has less of an effect. Like I'll quite often schedule um, maybe a friendly cup for the last weekend of the preseason. Um, so you know you have two two games that weekend against decent opposition and you know the finances at at kind of top level are irrelevant really um Mm -hmm. obviously if you're going lower down the leagues that could make much more of an impact but um no i've to be honest i've stopped worrying so much about how much of an effect like if you if you have six friendlies and you lose them all then i'd be concerned (laughs) yeah but um generally yeah, I've, I'm I'm less much less hung up on the the sort of you know on, on getting beat in a friendly here and there. I rotate the, the squad I, so much as well, like it just yeah, sorry, it's kind of you. it's kind of irrelevant really. I just I, it's all about getting the players match sharp mm. um, and ha- you know and having them motivated to at least compete in these games. Whereas, like I say, if you're playing the Red Lion, it's just they don't, no one gives a toss. <laughs> The other thing I think I've tried to use friendlies for, I, like I, because of the teams probably I've managed in the past, I might do a lot of um, retraining of positions or roles. So just to, just to get that kind of flexibility or, or players that can play in multiple positions. If you don't play them when they're doing that kind of training, it just takes longer. So let's say you're yeah. trying to retrain a DM as a right back or whatever. Um, bringing them in and, and giving them a run in the friendlies, even if you're not planning to use them or if they're younger, um, I think the friendlies definitely help to accelerate that a little bit um, and you'll benefit from that obviously then in the season when you've a bit more depth uh, so that, that helps like that. to accelerate that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I've had yeah. that I've had that like where you play someone in like you have to bring someone on or something in an unfamiliar position and yeah. and then like the next game it's like they've got like a red dot or like an orange dot in that position they're like holy shit this guy must be like super adaptable if he's already starting to get used to this new position when I've put him in it for like 20 minutes at the end of this game there is there is definitely um, sorry I was just going to say there is definitely a logic to it Um, 
I haven't seen it as quick as one game. That's pretty good going. Um, but I, I've actually measured it in that Angers save. I, I ended up um, with a new gen that I brought in um, and I actually wanted to fully retrain him and I, I actually tracked it. So I, I grabbed those screenshots, Curti, where, where it started kind of no circle, then a red one, and it was gradually getting kind of amber, yellow, up towards green. Um, I think it was about nine months to get up to kind of green um, wow. with, with giving him that game time as well. Um, had, so it's interesting yeah. to watch. Yeah. I bought Eric Garcia uh, um, at the end of season one when his contract ran out, and I wanted to play him as a DM, like as a de- more defensive option mm. as, as DM rather than Erdegaard. And it probably took him, like, even to get any sort of familiarity, even though I was training him on it and playing him there whenever he played, probably took him, like, a good six six to eight months to uh, to even get up to, like, accomplished in that position. Well, I think of it, um, I was actually, I'm pretty sure I wrote a piece on it for the byline. So we might drop that in the description if anyone wants to look at retraining positions, because... Um, it takes a while to to test it, and uh, you need a bit of patience. But um, it's nice to see how it progresses. So uh, we might grab a link for that. I think I think it's definitely a underutilized part of the game, and I think it's probably due to the amount of time it takes, isn't it? Like the retraining of positions. I think the only other time I've managed to do it is when uh, I think I've been, I've mentioned it fairly recently in the eight. I did an eighteen sixty Munich save years ago. I had a guy who who played up front for me who I really liked, but I signed another striker that was better than him. But I still wanted him to play, so I retrained him as an attacking left midfielder, and he was uh, he was he was really good. And in the end, got trained there. Um, so it's always a nice feeling when when it does come off and it it eventually happens. Um, and obviously, I know um, like Mad said, he uh, mentioned that article there. There'll be a couple of byline articles that I put in the uh, put in the description of the podcast if you want to check out. Um, and obviously, going back quickly to the the friendly cups that you've spoken about, or the tours themselves, I think when you're a bigger club, especially, you get the option of where you want to go for pre-season uh, for parts of it, um, mainly due to commercial uh, gains. Obviously, going on tour abroad, playing your affiliate clubs, signing star players, and so on, and then you have got the financial gains of those smaller friendly cup. Uh, cups that you could take advantage of when you're a smaller club or you need that bit more money. I know Dupe's a big, he pushes that quite a lot. I know Dupe does two or three friendly friendly cups during his pre-seasons normally. Um, and I think, you know, he has, I think he, he always invites the same teams as a little to- bit of tournament. I think recently they've saved, you can save the history of them now, can't you as well? If you keep the same name, you can, oh, is that it, it, yeah. Yeah, it saves the history. Yeah, I didn't know that. Quite, I must try that. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's quite cool. You, you got you do have a few in, in real life. I've not seen so much this season, probably because of um, COVID and so on. But there are definitely a few little tournaments oh. that, that do happen. Me, me and my mates. So me and my mate, like I've got a couple of mates who are Arsenal fans. We used to go to the Emirates Cup like every oh, year. Yeah, Emirates, yeah. And it was just we'd go so club level, which is like the posh bit, um, and you'd get like beers at half time and stuff. We used to do the two two pint half time challenge. <laughs> so you have to wait Tell for us more. you have to wait for the uh the the whistle to go get to the bar drink two pints before the second half kicks off it's tough it's not easy it's not as easy as it sounds um, mad does that mad does that in five minutes which is just getting bit. served is often yeah. the problem <laughs> um every, every so, time the ref blows his whistle let's drink a pint no is that not <laughs> mad does it before she's poured the second yeah <laughs> but that was quality they they used to play some good teams you know like ajax valencia were there um milan probably i, I can't mm. remember off the top of my head but it used to be like a really really fun day out it's kind of a shame now it? because don't a lot of them happen at, like 
a lot of those friendly tournaments kind of seem to happen abroad now. Like not in the home stadium. The of Audi any Cup, of the wasn't there was an Audi yeah, yeah. that was like buying and stuff. The Audi. Yeah, Cup. they go to the US and they go to Asia and stuff. You can understand why, but um, yeah, it'd be nice to see a bit more of it. Wolves did one a few years ago in Switzerland, and we won it. We beat, uh, I think we beat young boys in the final. Unbelievable scenes. Steady. Easy, <laughs> easy silver. All right, let's move on quickly. Um, obviously, uh, well, tactical familiarity, I know you mentioned it earlier as well. Obviously, it's a good time and good chance to try out different tactics and try and up the familiarity of them. Um, I know Joe, who very kindly wrote the script here, he's put defensive tactic, uh, which you can play against the bigger clubs, which obviously Kurt has mentioned. He likes to sort of have those friendlies against the bigger clubs uh, and have an attacking tactic and then test it against your, your smaller clubs. Is that anything that you boys particularly push or have you normally got your own set tactic that you like to just try out and test? I suppose it depends on the team and managing, but in a, in a standard save to generalise a little bit, um, rather than kind of go big club, small club, I kind of go home and away tactic. Um, yeah. Uh, in particular, I suppose particularly where you're away against a big club, naturally that all comes together. So you can, I, I would arrange a couple of friendlies against a, a bigger team, but try and make that an away fixture to to practice like a more defensive tactic or something that can kind of lock down. Uh, and vice versa, obviously home fixtures where you want to go on the attacking uh, on the attacking front. So that that's definitely useful and it builds up that familiarity. Um, whether it works and transpires into the actual season, fuck if I know. But you know, we try. I I reckon, like yeah, test testing tactic in in te- testing tactics in friendlies is fine. But how often do you like absolutely rinse preseason, win every game seven nil? And then go into your first game of the season and lose one nil at home to Norwich or someone like that. Do you know what I mean? Guaranteed. So, yeah. So I think I think there's an element of it you have to take with a pinch of salt. Yes, I mean you 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 know, you could probably find fundamental problems with a system uh during preseason. But just I don't know, just don't get too carried away. I think it's it's just I've seen so many pre-seasons like get flipped on the head as soon as the real season starts so I don't know I suppose that's one of the the big reasons why you shouldn't play or or you sort of uh, still manage who you play because like you said you know it's always nice to play those teams and beat them 10-0 but you're never ever going to pick out your tactical flaws if you're playing teams that you're like four or five level levels above are you you, you do need teams that are still going to give you a challenge that's going to test your tactic as well I suppose Kate yeah, nodding his head. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know. Like there are there are times in a like I I generally play through preseason, but there are times when like if I'm dead, you know, I've got my system set. I haven't yeah. done any major business in the transfer window in the summer, where I'll just assign it to my system because I know exactly how I'm going to set up, and you know I'm comfortable with my starting eleven. Um, and I'll just pick the teams that we play, and let let the assistant do it. But um, it's quite rare that that happens. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've I've put a lot less emphasis on preseason in the last couple of FMs, I think. Uh, yeah. And I think to you, be honest, do it's you, kind of paid do you off. just get pumpster? You don't just get pumpster to do it for you, no? <laughs> yeah, he does. He does all my uh, he does all my prep. So bless him. <laughs> He's a good good lad. He is a good lad. Shout out to pumpster. Yeah. Well. In addition, obviously, to the points that we've made, and we mentioned set pieces a little bit earlier when you know, we spoke about the uh, the FM playoffs there. Um, 
obviously pre-season is another is a perfect time to sort of judge those set pieces and so on but most of us most of us do have like a plug and play system that we like to use um you know whether we've used it on previous saves or whether some people have downloaded it that have got default set pieces who knows um but obviously till pass it yeah to the old till pass it um but obviously pre-season is a chance to see if there's more to a set piece than aiming for the big lump at the near or far post um and obviously you might have players that you can implement in certain areas and you know there's no better time than pre-season to, to check that out so do you boys ever change or adapt your set pieces throughout the season i suppose you do throughout the season um or, or do you do you pay attention to the stats i know Curtis does in particular with that sort of thing I I think it basically is as simple as lumping it to your biggest header at the near post. Like I, I, I like the set <laughs> the set piece creator is very very like it's it's kind of time consuming, and you know if you if you need to change something in a game quickly, you just it's not going to happen. You're not changing anything quickly in there. Um, but I think it is basically as simple as get a half-decent set-piece taker and lump it at your best header. You know, and if you're aiming at a corner for the near post, put your three best headerers around that area, you know. Don't have... Hedera. Don't have... Hedera. Don't have, um, <laughs> mm. you know, one there and then two at the far post because they're wasted. Just, you know, you, your, your player taking the set-piece isn't going to get it perfect every time. So just put your players in the areas that he's aiming for and you'll reap the rewards. And also train set-pieces as well. Absolutely, that is yeah. key. Train set pieces. I think, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say I use preseason to do it, but I, I feel like I'm just throughout the whole season trying to figure it out because I'm just not very good at set piece systems. So I'm always trying to find something that works. But in the in the save I have now at Bologna, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to spend five games testing out a couple of different ones. Um, and we have Yanis Hadji there, the guy who brought in from Rangers. Um, he's a Romanian guy, and he's got. 16 crossing, 17 free kick taking. So he's, he's obviously got that technique. And then we've got Adam Ida up front, who's um, he's six foot three. He, his heading is like 12, but his jumping reach is about 15, I think. So I've, I've stuck him on the back post. And whatever it is, over the course of Premier League 10, 15 games, I've seen at least four back post corners where, where uh, Adam Ida is just rising at the back above the guy in front of him because he's got up first and just heading it down into the net. Um, is your corner taker aiming for the back post? Yeah, aiming for the back post, and he's and I've got Ida at the back, kind of rising up. Just simple. It, it's beautiful. Just easy. Um, it's take. I've been playing this game twenty five years, Curtis. So it's taken that long to get there, but um, uh, it's it's lovely to see it actually work. Uh, however long it'll last, I don't know. Yeah, well, obviously another part of pre-season is your your recruitment side of things, and I know. Um, another humble plug here we will put uh, an article to this one uh, Joe did a uh, six steps to signing an uninterested player article on the football manager website on the byline as well um, probably last year was it maybe even longer ago oh no it was FM21 so it was definitely sometime in this uh, game um, but he talks about obviously going to matches throughout pre-season to watch players and increase their interest in a transfer to your club I know the old school phrase we used to use was the teach pursuit because it is what teach um, the the five star pod OG used to love doing as well um, do you boys visit games when you're scouting a player do you look at how they perform in the match engine or is it purely to get the, the media talking to try and get your name 
name out there. If I'm honest, it's something I've never done. I, I do if I'm trying to do the teach pursuit, basically. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I'll, normally um, I'll decide that a player is a target through other means, but if I'm struggling to get him interested or I want to unsettle him or I want, you know, want to force his hand to maybe put in a transfer request or whatever, then I will go. And, and literally all you need to do is spend like two seconds there and then you can leave, you know, but just, yeah. just, it's just all about attending the game. Um, and then you'll get the news article afterwards and you'll get the rumblings in the press. And um, so, yeah, definitely something I've used uh, not often, but, it is, it is a good tool. It, it still is effective. I can tell you right now that that article Joe wrote works. Now, I can't say it's going to work every single time, but I actually tested this about a couple of days after he, he, he wrote it. I'm struggling to remember the player, but it was literally like that. No interest whatsoever in talking to us when it came to the contract. And I literally went through some of the steps that Joe has in there. Probably took a couple of months, maybe watching a few games, trying to get him unsettled. Um, whenever he got an opportunity in the media to talk about it, just, just, just you know, acting, doing some shithousery and saying, yeah, we want him, we want him in, we want him in. Um, and eventually then it turned and we, like nothing much changed. It was still within the same season. So definitely uh, hit the description for that article by Joe. Uh, it's also on the byline for Football Manager um, under the Wednesday Wisdom. Well worth it if you're, if you're struggling that. Love that, love that. Um, Finally, boys, pre-season, any other things that you reckon we've missed out there that you think that you're mentioning or we, we've pretty much covered covered it all? Um, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my focus is on, like, the training side of things. I think we've covered that, but um, I, I feel like we could go into more, more depth with that maybe at some point. But, uh, yeah, apart from, you know, apart from getting, getting players match fit, um making sure the system's right and you know what else can you do really the only other thing I do in preseason based on experience as a bad bad football manager manager is get those contracts sorted out um, I've often gone into a save got hung up on the tactics got hung up on the squad and the tran- you know recruitment and then suddenly you get a bid in and you've realised that there's a guy with a release clause or he's got a year left it's often overlooked but uh, and it happened to me as soon as I started this Bologna save Chelsea came in took our best player with no control over it, um, so yeah, definitely have a look there first, and then and then go off and uh, play your dog and duck FC and beat them thirteen 0 You've just triggered. You just triggered something. Actually, that is one thing I do at the start of every season is I will go through and set expectations for everyone's playing time, and what I'll mm. do is I'll usually set it to the lowest possible squad status that they will accept, just so that you know. There's there's never any issue with kind of playing time, and then I don't have to go through the season like Dupe does and make pr- promises to <laughs> like thirty different players because I'm not playing them enough. Um, so that is one thing I do at the start of every single season. That's good. I've never tried. I was gonna that. say, I was gonna say one quick quick thing as well, which I've done recently this week. Um, obviously, I think I mentioned on the last pod on the on the save update, I had a guy called Bruno Tabata who had a 70 or 75% clause to his old club if I sold him. So basically, if I sold him, I was getting jackal. Um, on on the sporting save this week, Manchester United registered their interest in him, in him. And I just had a brainwave and I thought, what would happen if I just used him in a swap deal for someone else? Because obviously, I'm not going to lose 
lose the 75% then. And I, I managed to sign Aaron Wan-Bissaka, straight swap for this guy. So therefore, you know, I got a good player no in return and I, and I didn't lose 75% of this guy's fee Ooh, as well. I like that. So it was a big, big brainwave by the... Well, the big dog there. So. 200 IQ move there, Dave. Yeah, 100%. Um, right, we'll move on then. Instead of a quiz this week, like I said earlier, we're going to be doing our Premier League predictions. Um, we spoke a little bit about, obviously, Premier League transfers and stuff and how the squads are looking a little bit in, in last week's pod. Um, but we've got a few different parts here. Uh, we're going to be talking about, well, let's just kick off uh, with the league winner. We'll start with you, Matt. Who do you reckon is going to win the Premier League? If we'd have recorded this pod last night, <laughs> I don't know if my answer would have would have been different. But um, on the day of recording, a certain Mister Lukaku has probably just arrived in London, so that's really made me made me wonder. Um, I can't look past Chelsea now. Uh, I think you know I'm looking at City's obviously City quality side. Unless City uh, in the next two weeks match that level of bringing in that type of goal scorer and striker, I got I got my money on Chelsea here. Chelsea. Curtie, mm. who are you going for? I, I I mean, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, like, the whole Harry Kane situation um, just makes me think that, you know, City have kind of shot themselves in the foot maybe by paying 100 million for Grealish because it's got Daniel Levy has then gone, well, if that's the market value, then Harry Kane's got to be worth... 150, 170, yeah. mm. you know? So Man City are then knackered. You know, they they now can't buy him for that sort of money. Um, and I just struggling to see, apart from maybe Lautaro Martinez, maybe, but it looks like he might be off to Tottenham. Um, he's staying you know, at Inter, the, I think. Is he staying at Inter? Yeah, it's it? a tie. So, you know, what what kind of calibre of striker could they possibly bring in? And, you know, we're, we're approaching the first weekend of the season and there's no there's no moves happening and going into a season with Jesus as your basically your only striker seems mental to me um so as much as i i'm not as much as i don't want to say it i'm probably going to go chelsea as well um i just like i can't see united winning the league liverpool i think possibly need another season I think they overperformed for two years and you know obviously last year was a bit of a disaster uh, right until the end and they're getting these players back and we we have no idea what sort of player Virgil you know is he going to be the same player yeah. we have no idea so I think process of elimination Chelsea yeah well I'm pretty much in the same camp as you guys I said earlier in the week on another podcast I think Chelsea are going to win it Unless, if City get Man uh, Harry Kane, I know you spoke about it a little bit there. There's rumours again on the day of recording that he may well still be on the cards. If City get Harry Kane, I think it's going to be very, very close between them and Chelsea and I'd probably uh, edge towards City. If City get Harry Kane, it's Man City will win the league. All day. Yeah. yeah. Well, as it stands, I'm going Chelsea. But if City get Kane, City. The one thing I throw That's in, the and then, there, Dave, you're right. There. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Good. <laughs> My arse is a bit sore. He yeah. didn't say wolves anyway. Um, <laughs> wolves the one thing I throw Wait in, to my relegated teams. <laughs> <laughs> the, for me, the kicker also like it's easy to kind of go. Oh, they've just signed Lukaku. That's it. Um, to, the the manager for me is 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 huge here. Like to, Thomas tu, Thomas Tuchel, Tommy Tuchel. Yeah. Um, I feel like he 
just he's just brought that team to a different level and and I feel like they're they probably can still kick on a gear as even without Lukaku tactically um, you know the age of the team everything like that so uh, I think that's that's giving them an edge obviously Pep's a good manager but I think I think Thomas Tuchel has something that no other managers have in terms of his tactical awareness yeah well we'll move on to the top four I mean we've mentioned a few teams there Curtie we'll start with you on this one I'd assume Chelsea City are going to be in there who are your other two there um okay so if City don't sign a striker I'm going to say Liverpool finish second right okay um and then City third United fourth okay Mad, are you, are you the same as that? Are you writing these down, Dave? Um, no, I'll, I'll remember. <laughs> I'll remember. We'll come back to this pod. We'll I'll remember back. it's the four-year anniversary pod. Uh, for me, I, yeah. Um, I'm kind of not convinced by City right now. I don't know why. Um, I think they've got a lot of good players, but I just don't know. I don't know how they're going to line out. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. Bernardo Silva, Ferran Torres, hit and miss. Foden is a good player, obviously. And now Jack Grealish, but still a bit messy in my eyes. So I'm tempted to put United in second here. Um, so I'm going to go Chelsea, United, City and Liverpool. But I'd love to see Leicester in there. I, I really like the Leicester business, but I think they'll just narrowly miss out again. Exactly what yeah. happened the last year. I'm going to go with the same City, top four. United, yeah, I'm going to go with the same top four, but I'm I'm not going to disclose my order. I'm going to... Actually, no. I, I'm oh, on you the, really I'm are already on the fence. fence. No, no, I'm already on, all right, I'll go. As it stands, Chelsea top, City second, United third, and Liverpool fourth. There you go. Mm-hmm. Relegated then, Mad. We've got, obviously, the teams that came up are Brentford, Norwich, and Watford. I think there'll be some, some people's favourites to go straight back down, but who, who are you backing at the minute? Well, you're asking a Newcastle fan about relegation. I know, I was going to say that as um, well, yeah. I have concerns over Newcastle. I don't think they'll get relegated unless they lose a player. I think I think it looks like we're getting Joe Willock today. If we can keep Wilson fit and keep, say, Maximin in the team because uh, he was linked with a, a move away, I would have serious concerns over who they could bring in. So as of, as of right now, I'm, I'm happy enough with that. I, I worry for Watford and Norwich. They're definitely, for me, both in the bottom three. And I'm kind of optimistic about Brentford and not so optimistic about Southampton. Um, so I'm going to say something a little bit odd and go Southampton to... to I don't think that's 18th. odd. I think that's a yeah. fair shout, yeah. I know they've brought in... They brought in Armstrong, who's decent, but unproven at that level. Um, Ings is a huge loss at this, you know, a week beforehand. So, yeah, I have concerns for Southampton. What do you reckon, Kay? I mean, I don't think Southampton's a weird shout at all. They were in my yeah, bottom three as well. Oh, um, alongside Norwich and Watford, who I think are poor... Um, I think Brentford will stay up. I I worry for Newcastle. I think Wolves could be down there <laughs> towards the end of the season, but I could you know yeah. could be wrong. But I think that there's easily probably three or four teams that are worse than Wolves. So I don't think Wolves are going down, but I don't think um, it's going to be yeah yeah. I don't think they'll be uh, as comfortable as they have been in previous years. Um, but yeah, Newcastle. I I, I fear I'd fear for. Um, but I think it's going to be tight I think you know like we saw at the back end of last season a couple of wins towards the end and Newcastle finished 12th I think 
Um, and it wouldn't surprise me. Above walls, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if it was a similar similar sort of season again, really. But yeah, I think I think Watford and Norwich are bad, and Southampton could well be in trouble. Isn't that Vestergaard could be going to Leicester as Leicester, well? Yeah, it looks like, yeah, pretty much done deal. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's a huge loss again. Um, yeah, they've got to do some business, otherwise they're in they're in big trouble. I. I think, I think it, it it's very hard to. I think Norwich and Watford are pretty much in probably ninety nine percent of people's bottom three. Brentford, there seems to be this sort of reputation around them that they're going to do well. I think they play good enough football, but they, um, you know, had to still go through the playoffs. You know, the word Norwich and Watford sort of did quite well just generally in the league as well. Um, so I'm, I'm inclined to put Brentford, the three teams that came up to go straight back down. Um, although that very does very rarely happen. Newcastle, who we've mentioned, I think they've got to keep some Maximin and Wilson fit, like you said. If they don't, their team just looks very, mm. very average. Um, Wolves, I, I can I can understand why people think, but like you said, there are definitely worse teams than Wolves. It just depends. Well, our first three games are Leicester Spurs, Man United. <laughs> but after Ooh. that, we've got a big chunk of games of teams that are really are beatable. Um, Palace as well. I don't know if either of you mentioned Palace. I know you know they're signing a couple of good players. We've got Vieira in charge, who's pretty well proven at a top elite level. Um, be interested to see how how they get on if it goes pear shaped there. Um, but yeah, my my prediction is the two the three teams that came up to go straight back down again. Mm. Um, before we move on to the top goal scorer, and I might just mention possibly. First manager to be sacked prediction. Curtie, I'll start with you first. Who do you reckon? Oh, um, I hadn't even thought about this one. Um, won't be Daniel Fark. Uh, I don't Probably, who's the Watford manager? Cisco. I was going to say the same. Cisco. Yeah. I mean, they love chopping and changing, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they've got a dreadful reputation for that. I'm going Cisco yeah. as well. So you've got How two, you say? you're both going for Cisco? I'm going for Cisco, yeah. I have to go different then. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, you gonna go for that. Uh, I thought about it because, like you said, I mean Watford are so trigger happy with managers. It, it's a swinging door, really. It's a revolving door. I don't know. Fans back in the stadium at Newcastle, fifty-two thousand of them Ooh. abusing the shit out of Steve Bruce. All this stuff to do with the takeover and everything. I, I can't see Steve Bruce lasting. Well, part of me doesn't want him to. Fair, like it's nothing against him, to be honest. I just think that. It's it's gone too far, and the fans have made up their mind. And yeah, with with a full St James's Park, and things don't go well, not looking good. I'd say Steve Bruce, Hassan Hassan Hootel could be a shout as well. No, that's not a bad true shout. True that. Yeah. True that. Too hard to pronounce, though, Curtie. We couldn't be doing that. True. True that. Right, um, and top goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, I'll start. I'll go with. Oh, actually, I say that. Let's go. I'll go Lukaku. New sign. I think he's going to absolutely smash it. Who do you reckon, Mad? I don't want to go with Lukaku. I want. I want to go with who I who I thought before Lukaku. I think Salah's got one big season left in him. I think he spent the whole summer. I think it's one of the first summers he's not done much on the international stage. Had a chance to recharge. Um, and yeah, I just I, I think Salah has another. I don't want to say 30 goal season in him, but like a 25, 26 goal season in him where he's likely to get a couple of hat-tricks and, and rocket up those charts. He's been up there non-stop and I think he's got one more season in him. So Mo Salah for me. 
Uh, I'm going to be boring and go Harry Kane. Um, I know, obviously, there's been, like, question marks over his professionalism and what have you in the last few weeks. But I think wherever he's going to play, he will give 100%, you know? Um, So whether it be... I mean, if it's a Man City, I think he absolutely cruises it. And if it's a Tottenham, I still think he's in with a massive shout of winning it. So... um, yeah, Harry Kane. And finally, promoted from the Championship, who are three teams that you boys reckon are going to be in the Premier League next season. Looking well ahead here. Uh, Mad will kick off with you again. Uh, it's nice that Newcastle aren't in the Championship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would probably lean, I suppose the one that stands out to me is Fulham, I guess. Um, obviously, having gone back down. Um, I didn't realise they'd brought in Harry Wilson, who's a great player. Um, yeah, they spent big on him as well, well relatively big. That's I think. good signings, um, Fulham. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I like Fulham. Um, so they're they're definitely there for me. I think Bournemouth could be could be in with a shout. Uh, I still think they've got a decent squad and they've been messing around with managers a little bit. Um, but I think there's there could be some momentum there. And then I'm gonna throw in West Brom again. Um, they did just they did just lose Matthias Pereira. I think he was he was a huge player for them uh, in the last season or two. But they brought a in a couple of decent where he players. went as well. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, he, he he released a kind of a note to thank the club, and he kind of basically said, "Look, this is a huge opportunity for me and my family to that we can't turn down because it's basically going to set him up for life." So, yeah, it is what it is. At least he's not, you know, he's not lying about it. So, um, fair enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, Fulham, Bournemouth, and West Brom for me. Curtis, who do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I think Fulham should be winning that division with the squad they've got. Um, I also like Sheffield United. Um, I think uh, they've, you know, they've got all the tools to sort of give it a real go again. And uh, uh, Colin, we'll go with Colin. Borough, no go way, on. no we'll go way. Borough. Yeah, up the borough. Maybe one last promotion for Warnock. I can back that. I'm going to go Middlesbrough. I, got, mean, I think they lost the opening game. Well, actually, they might have got a draw. I can't remember. You've got, um, you've got to appreciate anyone walking around with photos of himself to, uh, well, to sign about, to give the fans. Middlesbrough with Colin, Cardiff with McCarthy, um, and then who else? Not West Brom. Um, Fulham. Let's go Fulham. Fulham, Cardiff, Middlesbrough. There you go. Outside three. Inject that, saw, inject that into me. Yeah. <laughs> I saw what, nice. just on, on the Sheffield United topic. Uh, I saw they were linked today with Ronaldo. Ronaldo Vieira, greatest name oh. player. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he's, I think I think it's actually true. Ronaldo Vieira, I think he's in he was in Syria, I think. So um, and he's played for Leeds, didn't he? They went to yeah, Sampdoria. Yeah. They still yeah. got Sander Burge there as well, um, and David McGoldrick yeah. up front. They, those Championship clubs have kept hold of a couple of big players. They have indeed. Yeah, very interesting to see how they they get on. But uh, that does bring episode two hundred eight, the four year anniversary of Five Star Potential, to a close. You can find the links for each of us in the podcast description or by visiting weestreamfm.com where you can see this week's new article 10 Wonder Kids You Can't Sign in FM22 written by our very own Mad FM um, alongside a couple of the uh, uh, byline pieces that we, we spoke about earlier in today's podcast. Five Star Potential is available on iTunes, Spotify and most other popular podcast apps and platforms with a new podcast released every week. Thank you all for listening and there will be more from us next week. Say goodbye boys. Right. You well, do that better than Matt. Cheers. Thank you. No worries. Wow. That. that just happened. <laughs>